let's say you are one of the few people in the world who bought an NFT that is now worth a lot of money. Maybe you own a Basie, which is Board Ape Yacht Club or a CryptoPunk or a Doodle. Now, some of these sort of digital assets are worth a lot of money, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes millions of dollars. But there is a problem with these NFTs and that they are not liquid. You cannot easily sell and convert that into dollars and use it. Maybe you saw an investment opportunity or you need money urgently to pay for something else. But as we all are in a crypto beer market or a crypto winter or a downturn, you don't necessarily want to sell your NFT when you're not getting enough money or maybe you cannot even sell because there are no buyers out there at any price. Then what do you do? with this NFT that you have ended up with that is sitting on a huge pile of money. How do you free up some capital? And this is what we are going to talk about in today's episode. I am going to be interviewing the founder and CEO of Paribus.io. What Paribus does is that it allows you to borrow and lend by using your NFT as a security. And that was not the only thing. Some of the other things that we discussed during this podcast were such as how do you protect your company from the crypto contagion or when things start to fall? We talk about three arrows capital. We talk about um, how do you avoid things such as a bank run, how to navigate crypto winter the future of decentralized finance, um, how to avoid rug pulls or recognize rug pulls in the NFT world or recognize Ponzi schemes and much, much more. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, innovators, explorers, and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author, a tech startup founder, and a strategic advisor to multiple Web3 startups. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore the world of Web3, all the risks, all the opportunities. And my goal is to educate you about what other people, the founders, the investors, what are they building? What are they paying attention? So you can take advantage of it. So you can benefit from it. However, I would like to start with saying that this is not investment advice. I would still highly encourage you to do your own research. I have nothing to sell you. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. So first of all, Dennis, it's great to have you on the show. So looking Thanks forward to finding more about Paribus and what sort of problems you solve for people. Yeah, sure. So Paribus is a cross-chain burial in the platform. It's typical in the sense that we support traditional assets, traditional crypto assets, as traditional as crypto assets get. So like Bitcoin, ADA, ETH, so you can borrow against them as a collateral. But what separates us from the rest is that we are looking to support NFTs and other forms of metaverse digital assets as a collateral type. So for example, if you have a bull date, you could bring yeah. it to us, we would automatically value it. So it's not P2P. We have a AI based valuation system. Okay. I will value it. And then you could borrow up 40% of the value of the NFT that you're putting up for collateral. Therefore, we are unlocking the liquidity that's locked within the NFT space today. Uh, so when you buy an NFT today, the only way to sort of make something out of that NFT is that the price goes up and yes. you have to wait for it to print. The other choice is that you have to send it outright. 
but if you want to sort of keep the investment and, and if, if you expect it to grow in the future, then there really isn't many choices. There are P2P platforms where you can borrow against uh, your NFTs, but it has to be one-to-one. So you and I have to agree on the value and then we have to settle yeah. to, on terms of the loan, et cetera. Whereas Paravus has taken that, uh, we use AI and as long as there is liquidity available in the protocol, you'll be able to borrow automatically. So it's sort of an intersection between DeFi and NFT, and we're bringing both worlds together to unlock all the liquidity that's essentially locked within the NFTs and metaverses, as metaverse lands are technically at technical level. Exactly, exactly. You say that. I have another question. So does that mean even like with Web3 Gaming, that's the, one of the space that I work in in my, in my day job. So people could potentially bring their Web3 gaming or NFT gaming NFTs. So when they're not gaming, they could bring them to, to Paribus and and borrow money on based yeah. on that yeah exactly that was i was actually going to ask you the name of the project that you mentioned moonstream.to yeah Moonstream. yeah. yeah so exactly what you said so you can actually uh, bring your and a game, NFT gaming items, and as long as they have liquidity and we support the collection, yes. then yeah, you can borrow against it. Obviously, uh, we have certain conditions to accept it as collateral, so liquidity being one, um, Absolutely. Sort of social tracking, how much support the project has, where the gaming items come from, if these tick, the boxes yes. are ticked and we support, then yes, you can bring it and borrow against it. I know I didn't want to make it on this this topic alone. We'll go into the other things as well. But then from what I understood from Paribus that you guys are on Cardano. Is that right? Yes. So we're essentially building for Cardano. Our aim is to expand the Cardano ecosystem. So Cardano ecosystem is, is so fairly new to the smart contract world. Absolutely. So we're, we're building our solution within which solidity. So it's an EVM solution. Okay, we're actually so, deploying our solution to a sidechain called Milcom, which is which is a sidechain for Cardano, official Cardano chain. And we will be able to bridge assets across from Cardano and EVM solutions so that we have the ability to support the NFTs from both worlds, from both Cardano CNFTs and EVM-based NFTs. Okay, okay. So any of those pol polygon ones would work and... Yeah, yeah, and Ethereum based. A lot, a lot of NFTs are Ethereum, all the old school ones, but the gaming ones are Polygon and lots, lots of new chains coming up exactly. in the gaming ecosystem. But even now, when I looked at the whole market, there's about 1200 games, most of them under development. Very few games are live that people can actually play and engage with because the whole field is so new. And when I look at out of 1200 games, the four ecosystems control or not control, but have majority of the share. So number one was Ethereum, number two was Polygon, number three was Binance, number four was Solana. Between four of these, and not much difference, they, between four of these, they control, or not control, but like they occupy about 85% of the market. And then the new ones coming up are the Flow, the Immutable X, the, there's so many, there's so many, a whole yeah. long list of months. But yeah, that's that's great. Out of the way, I won't, <laughs> won't talk about gaming now. How did you end up starting Paribus? What was sort of the motivation? How did you get into it is all this yeah. field is so new yeah it's it. it it's a very new field i mean i've been in the web free space for about five six years now i had a startup before this called bounty direct so i've always been within the web free space and i've always been sort of following the trends and so moving investments around within the web free space um and obviously nfts picked up uh, over the last 18 24 months and since then, I personally buy NFTs. I collect NFTs at the moment, mainly EVM-based NFTs, so Ethereum and Solana-based. Sometimes Solana-based is also yeah. EVM, sorry. So yeah, since I'll be buying NFTs and I 
I always see uh, new Wilson and Simon as well, and we, they engage in NFT purchases as well. So we were actually just friends before the project and we were buying NFTs and we thought ourselves, well, what can we actually do with buying NFTs if they don't go up in price? We just have to wait patiently and sit down. And we thought, well, maybe we could unlock the liquidity and introduce some sort of borrowing lending platform into this. So we looked into this idea. We spoke around it, we researched it, we, we found a few AI models that does valuations, we found a few platforms that does P2P valuations, and we thought, okay, let's try to build something of our own. And that's basically how Paramus was started. It was, it was an idea that uh, we wanted to do more with our own NFTs, and then it into something that uh, allows a lot more larger scale audience to do a lot more of the NFTs. Yes, so does that, that brings me to the question, so do you guys still have a collection of your own? What do you mean the Paribus collection? Yeah, yeah, like an NFT collection of your own. Because how you said that you uh, guys got interested in that sort of a thing. Yeah, I mean, well, in terms of collection, we don't have a sort of collective collection, but we all collect different NFTs every now and then. So like, like the moment I'm looking at the doodles, I have, I have a couple of doodles and stuff like that. But unfortunately, Basie is gone off the route, so it's no longer an option for us. But yeah, we have... A few NFTs from OpenSea, we collected a few from there and there. Yeah. But in terms of the Paribus collection, we don't have a Paribus collection yet, but we will We will get there step by step. We get to that. Yeah, yeah. That's very, very cool. Another question I have is, how did you choose to build on Cardano? Was it purely because you guys got a grant funding? Because a lot of projects, that is the reason. Or was it that you guys saw something unique in that sort of blockchain solution? I don't know. Yeah, so we actually didn't get funded for Cardano till it was like very late. Once we made the decision, we chose Cardano on, on the on the promises that is made that it makes towards decentralization. So obviously, blockchain is supposed to decentralize things and it's supposed to be more so everyone's supposed to be involved regardless of your geographic background, socioeconomic background. And when you look at some of the blockchains out in the space today, yes, they're decentralized as a tech, but when you look at nodes and validators, are they really decentralized? No, so it's very few people control that, all the nodes and exactly. the validators. Very few are engaging at that level. Exactly. But when you look at Cardano at that level, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit better than the rest of the blockchains. That's so we thought F it supports our ethics in terms of decentralization, where we want the world to head towards in terms of web and tech. So that was one of the major decisions because we thought Cardano supports true decentralization of, of, of the system. And on top of that, when you look at the Cardano system, it's quite new. It's quite young. As it needs solutions and these solutions are not there. Whereas EVM based chains, they have, they don't have exactly what we built, but there are alternatives. Whereas Cardano doesn't even have the alternatives. So when you see the gap in the market within the Cardano space, it just made sense for us with, along with the post decentralization aspect that we should definitely go for Cardano. We actually started off as Polkadot and then we, we came, we researched into the, the Cardano a bit for about a month. Then we made the pivot to Cardano. Yeah. Uh, so that was the main reason. And that's why we chose Cardano. It's just the gap in the market. And we believe Cardano is going to have exponential growth with its smart contract upgrades. Now we just had a backswap upgrade hard fork and we have more uh, hard forks coming up. And on top of that, they are now building an official EVM based sidechain, which shows the desire to actually start expanding Cardano beyond Plutus and Haskell development, which should be great explosion of developers coming on board to the Cardano ecosystem. Absolutely, because when I look at it, there's the developers in the in this space, in the Web3 space, most of them are Solidity, still has the biggest share of developers, and then the second would be Rust. But I could be completely wrong. Please feel free to correct me if yeah. I'm wrong. 
Um, no, no, absolutely. You're correct. I think I'm originally a software engineer, so that's my trait. I know roughly how the software engineers think. We, we tend to get lazy. So we don't want to learn a whole new development stack and a whole new language and a whole new EDM. Exactly. If EDM works, it works. We just want to really build and take bits of code from here and then and add, make it better and iterate over it rather than starting from scratch. So I think with that mentality of software engineers, it makes sense that they are basically sort of all over Solidity and Solidity stack as opposed to the sort of non-EVM chain. So for example, Haskell with Cardano, features, yes, Haskell is a good language. It's, it's very sort of, you could predict what's going to happen, especially with how Cardano works, off-chain and on-chain solution. You could predict if something's going to fail, there is no surprises like in EVM. But the problem is Haskell itself is a little bit outdated and it's hard to learn. And when you add the crypto on top of um, Haskell, which obviously turns into preachers, then it's even more of a niche of a skill. And um, so it's very hard to get those people and get them to start building something that's, uh, that's going to be sort of useful within the space. So yeah, EVM and Rust make sense. They are largely uh, what makes up the web free development space. Yeah. And I guess Rust is Solana. Solana, yeah. Support. Yeah. And Rust is a good language in general. It's very quick. It's very fast. So I guess that's why uh, those two are taking the lead at the moment, and which is why Cardano itself is expanding into EVM. Yeah, makes sense. Makes absolute sense. What are some other benefits of Cardano since you guys are building on that? 40 to 60% of the listeners of this podcast are founders themselves and, and people in my sort of network and followers, they are founders themselves. So I think it could be useful for someone listening. So yeah, why, why should someone go for Cardano compared to, to something else? So Cardano, first of all, has a very strong community. I mean, it's it's like a typical cliche thing to say, but when you compare Cardano community with, let's say, Polkadot community yeah. Or, yeah, or, or another uh, blockchain, like think of top 10, they're very different. They're very, very enthusiastic. They support every project that comes with Cardano. They are more sort of experienced in terms of web free development. So they, they understand prices fluctuate, it's volatile, yeah. and things can go up and down. Of course, you get random people in a whole about prices getting emotional, but that, that happens in the web free space anyway. But in general, the community is very supportive. The community is very open to changes. The community wants things to be built. So they would actually go beyond their means to support you, whether that's on Twitter, YouTube, or anything else. And then aside from that, IOG itself, Cardano, uh, the company that builds the Cardano ecosystem, IOG, they are actually very supportive as a project to onboard new projects onto Cardano ecosystem. So they will take you, take you on podcasts, they will take you on interviews, they will pull you up on events, etc. So you do get the exposure and the, and then the limelight that you're looking for as a new project to be known. And this reaches all the way up to Charles. So Charles himself will sometimes get involved with projects if he likes the project. So for example, yes. he gave us a quote on Paribus because he thinks like we do where we are trying to build something that's going to sort of connect DeFi and NFT. So therefore he gave us a few quotes and it, it hasn't helped in the terms that, uh, so we don't, we don't want to use those quotes to manipulate the price in any way. So yes. It hasn't, it was released in a way that would not affect the price, but yeah. it shows the willingness that IOG is trying to get involved with the projects that are building on them. So I yeah, community and, and outreach and IOG outreach that you get is, is a huge bonus in comparison to any other ecosystem that I worked with. So I worked with, within yes. the Ethereum ecosystem. I, I did some work for near protocol, I did some work for, for example, Binance Smart Chain, and none of them support your project like Cardano. So this is a huge benefit, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That definitely sounds like a massive, massive benefit for anyone building a new company. You know, you, you want all the support you can get. Why not? You know, stack the cards in your favor. Yeah. Yeah. And 
And you know, just something else that you were just recently talking about, and that is the market downturn. How are you guys? How's your team navigating this market downturn? <laughs> so markets are tricky. I mean, we, we, we have a budget that we need to stay within, of course. So we're trying to stay as mean as possible. We're trying to, you know, cut owners and cut comes in the sense that expenses look the quality of code. Yes. So yeah, we, we've basically dropped everything we can to save on cost on a monthly basis. And we have a budget for the next uh, 24 months, which we have a reserve for. Yeah, our reserves are in state point. We do not like to take risks with our treasury, of course. Oh, that's and, good. And, yes. And the, and the experiences that we've had before, my previous startup at Simon, our CTO, and Wilson, his previous startups is that market downturns happen. And we knew this was going to come sooner or later. So we removed all our altcoins and switched back to state point. So we're, we're so just you know, stable coins. I think the market downturn will probably last, I don't know, anywhere from six to twelve months right now. That's my general feeling. I don't think we're done yet. So yeah, we try to stay away from risky protocols that promise insane returns. APY <laughs> yeah. So none of that stuff. We just we're just focusing on what we're doing and, and yeah. preserving as much cash as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So you know how when people get like, I don't know. So from what I understand, so basically say I've got an NFT, I've got like a CryptoPunk or something. I can put that CryptoPunk, I can stake that on Paribus and and loan some money. Is that right? That's how it works? Based yeah. on the valuation so, by the AI and 40% of the value of that I can loan. Something like that, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, we have a whitelist collection. So the whitelist yes. allows us to whitelist obviously collections of NFTs. Yes. Uh, initially, the whitelist will be controlled by the team, but eventually, once we transition into the DAO system, the whitelist will actually be um, voted on, and proposals will be raised against the city. We'll support this class, this collection, etc. So we control the whitelist initially. We say, okay, we can support these based on certain metrics, like um, the ones I mentioned earlier. And you bring over your NFT. We give it a valuation based on our AI valuation system, but it's not just our valuation. We actually have partners. We are currently building what we call. Uh, NFT DeFi Consortium. So the NFT DeFi Consortium, it consists of several independent members. Right now it's us. Obviously there is a company, well, I can't actually give the name right now. That's fine. That's fine. You don't have, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's three more um, AI-based valuation systems that we use that are deal with NFTs. So we compare our valuation against their valuation. Yeah. And then if our valuation is not too far off, let's say more than less than 20%, then we can assume that our valuations are at a decent level. So we would say, okay, your valuation is this watch. And then we'll even show you the comparison of the valuation from the other two uh, free yeah. platforms. And if you like the valuation, you go ahead. We start them with the 40% of NFT plus. So you can borrow up 40% yes. of the NFT initially. Um, and then eventually we want to increase that percentage to all the way to about 70, 80%, depending on yeah. how quickly we can train our, train our AI systems. The reason why we started so low is that AI obviously has error rates and we need to make sure that the system, you know, learns from itself. It gets better at value and stuff. Until then we expect some error rates to sort of happen. And until that error rate drops, we have to say, okay, we're up to 40% because first of all, there's an error rate. Second of all, NFTs are not very liquid. So we must make sure that they are not have enough buffer. Yeah, exactly. So we have to make sure we have enough buffer to accommodate for the fluctuation of the price. Yeah. And then on top of that. The third thing is it's not easy to liquidate NFTs. We do have a liquidation mechanism. So with that in mind, we support 40% is a good rate and then we'll start increasing slowly as the system shows up. Yes. So yeah, you borrow up to that and then automatically you get back your stable coin or whatever loan currency that you have chosen into your wallet yes. and then the interest rate kicks in. It's dynamic interest rate. So you have to come back to that. We'll check the interest rate 
on a daily basis or on a weekly basis to make sure you're not paying too much interest as it's yes. in the best interest to close the loan as soon as possible. Yeah. And so you pretty much answered my next two questions in that, that what currency can you borrow and is it just your own tokens or is it also stable coins and things like, like Bitcoin and yeah. Ethereum and stuff. So that was the first question. And the second question was that. I jumped there. In it. Yes, no, but it's so good. You answered them for the audience. And the second question was going to be that is what's in it for you. And that is the, that the person who is borrowing pays the interest rate. What does that interest rate generally vary? So the interest rate is based on a fork of co compound. So we took the dynamic interest rate, mo rate model of compound and we tweaked it a little bit to work for NFTs and less liquid assets. So the way it works is, let's say you have a USDC pool that has 100K in it and people start borrowing money from it. So they borrow up to 80,000 USDC within that pool. Yes. Once 80,000 is borrowed and there's only 20,000 left in that pool, then the interest tip rate goes in. So this means the interest rate gets high quite aggressively. This is the idea is that we are running low liquid on liquidity on USDC. So we want people to pay back. So we increase the interest rate. We increase the interest rate. So people come back and say, oh, I'm paying too much interest. I need to close my loan. That way we file the balance. Whereas uh, the lenders, they say, oh, look, the interest rate is quite high on USDC. So I should put some money in there to earn an interest. So this dynamic interest rate finds a balance between lenders and borrowers to make sure that the system is always in positive cash flow. So that's the idea. That's the same interest rate across all our currencies that we support. And we think we have found a good balance where we would have enough of an incentive for both lenders and borrowers. Yeah. Yeah. No, makes, makes a lot of sense. And, and I can see how the ecosystem would work. My next question is on the, you know, on the, just on the market dynamics and that everything has been in happening and there is a sort of a concept like, you know, like called contagion that sometimes even good players get caught because of contagion because they have borrowed or they have lent or, or engaged with other third parties. Like I'm sure you've been following everything that's happened to like the three arrows, three arrows sort of capital group or, or yeah. whatever they were called and, and all the things that have happened because of that and, and. Um, that have gone on. I think Vald V A U L D was the latest one, and yesterday or day before yesterday. Mm -hmm. to I think there wasn't no word. Voyage, Voyager, 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 yeah, Voyager was yeah. another one. There's, there's lots, there's lots that have that has happened in the last, <laughs> last three weeks, pretty much. Even three weeks just feels like such a long time ago. Feels like last yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's just how fast the the space moves. How do you protect yourself from sort of contagion and stuff that people who are I don't know borrowing money they won't get. So it's like, you know, the banks used to worry that, you know, with too many, like if, if one person doesn't pay the bank loan back for a house, then is that person's problem. But if 1 million people who have loans don't pay that back, it's the bank's problem. <laughs> so how do yeah, you yeah. Uh, insulate yourself from such scenarios of contagion and stuff? So first of all, the, the gladness, so loan value rate that we introduced 40% is way below the actual NFT price. So if a lot of people default on the NFTs, uh, we still have 60% of the NFT to sort of sell and recoup and put it back into the system. So it's in cash flow. So that's our first protection barrier. Then the second one is that we are trying to actually build a mutual sort of insurance fund in the background so that in situations like this, we are always depositing some sort of reserves into insurance fund and then if the system goes into negative cash flow, then we want to introduce this insurance fund and then inject the capital into the, into the protocol. If, yeah. if we see that there are hundreds and hundreds of defaults. Um, so these two mechanisms are what we're trying to lean on. Of course, if we have defaults at very large scales, 
then we, we, I mean, it's going to be a sort of domino effect. It would affect the, the it would affect the NFT market as a whole, and then it would affect Arbus uh, as well. But we think with these two barriers, especially the 40% rate will give us enough buffer so that we stay on the cash flow. And of course, we might have a complete wipeout of the NFT market. You know, we don't know what future is going to bring. Yeah. But we are trying to prepare as best as we can. So we're not trying to lend too much when we are making sure systems are uh, well tested. So on the, on the stray, we, we have tests that are still borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars at one time. And then some are defaulted, 50% of those will default in our tests to see how the system will react, et cetera. So we have tested multiple scenarios. And I can confirm that our system is in positive cash flow, even on the sort of 50% of the loans being sort of default. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I could, we could predict and you could test as much as you can, but the reality is reality. You know, when, when things start kicking up, like <laughs> we have a capital, you yes. never know how things are going to end. And I think one thing that everybody has to understand is that DeFi is essentially an experiment. We are all experimenting with technology on the new frontier of finance. So the current financial system was not built in a day where we became magically huge multinational banks and then stuff. <laughs> but that's not how it works. Banks today that are big and large, they had failed in the past. They had they had they had failed failure stories, and until things got better and more, that's that's just how things evolve. You know, we we are experimenting. We are doing the best we can to protect our user base. We're not trying to overcrowd it or overlend, but which is which is how things progress. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know, I know there is always a risk, but but the thing is that what makes me feel secure, of course, first of all, this is not investment advice, but what makes me feel good about your project is that you have a whitelist collection, as restrictive as it sounds. That means that there is less likelihood of any rug pull NFT projects coming in. And, you know, the, the founders, because if the project is not very big, the founders can lose interest and just leave and the community dies and the NFT prices goes to zero. It happens every day in the in this world. Yeah, yeah. I, I, can I, I have many rug pulls myself. I've been getting yeah. NFTs. I've got rug pulled them. <laughs> yes, yes. The community disappears and the Discord's closed down. Everything's gone. And and then there's 10,000 people left holding NFTs that they paid like half a ETH for or something, you know? Yeah. It happens. It happens all the time. But if you have like, the big names are there, are there, you know, like you Labs are not going anywhere. You know, there's so many big names that they have massive teams. They are run really professionally. They'll run really well that if you have a whitelist collection, I think you'd be fine at this stage. At least it seems like, yeah, yeah. who knows what happens tomorrow, but I think you guys are doing all the, all the right things. When it comes to individual investors, what should they do to protect themselves if they are going to engage in DeFi? So in general DeFi, we're talking about general DeFi right, yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah I mean, yes. Individuals in general, I would say stay away from very high yields percent. Anything that's given out hundreds of thousands of percentages, you should probably take a second look and see what the project is about. It's a Don't sounds like Ponzi things. scheme. <laughs> as soon as it's hundreds of thousands of percent, oh, it's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, exactly. It never ends well, never ends well. Yes. So yeah, I mean, when you see the numbers like that, just make sure you do your research. I would even go as far as looking at the source code to make sure the source code doesn't have any sort of, you know, emergency, emergency rug pull functions that they can just uh, drain the liquidity. Yes. I would say aim for more long-term investments than short-term because there's, there's a sort of thinking process within crypto and Web3 that you will become a millionaire overnight. That's not true. That's unfortunately not true. I mean, if you had Bitcoin in 2014, maybe that was true, but that's not true anymore. So you need to be careful, not get too ambitious, not go for the moonshots. Think long-term, at least 12 months is my investment time. 
for me personally, because I, I feel like a, a project needs at least 12 months to mature and actually build something and make it usable and try to see what the project is doing. Is it trying to fill a niche? Is it trying to fill a gap? Is there actual use cases for this project? Or is it just the dream that somebody has, the founder has? Yeah. So if you look at these metrics and these, these points across, across the board, then I think you'll find good investments. And one, I guess not financial advice, but one thing that I can say for sure is try to DCA into whatever you're doing. And so yeah. not cost average, whatever you're doing and try to preserve some cash so you can buy on the way down, not always on the way up. Yeah. Because as, as for the famous quote, you know, get greedy when there's blood on the streets. So yeah. that's the motto that you should be following and you should be patient. Just as you are with stock market and gold and all double commodities that you invest into. Yeah, very, very, very true. 100% believe with that. For someone who is new listening, new to crypto, new to investment, investing world, how would you explain DCA or dollar cost averaging? Sure. So DCA is when you're trying to bring down the average cost for an asset uh, over time. So obviously when the price is going up, everyone wants to buy and you keep buying on the way up and the price keeps going up. That means your DCA is actually going up. But if you have some stable coins preserved, or if you have some cash preserved in the bank account and you see that the market is turning down, like right now in the bear market, um, then it's best to start buying portions of whatever assets you have chosen at different prices as it goes down. That brings your overall cost down. So when the market goes back and it, it flips to the bull side, then because you're low, uh, your average cost is uh, quite low, your probability returns is going to be much more higher when you look at the bigger picture. So I would, for example, put it as, let's say two Bitcoins at 20K today, I'm going to say some uh, bad prices, but let's say it goes down to 30,000 next two, three weeks. So if you buy a portion 18, portion at 15, a portion at 30, then your average has already come down. So when, when yeah. the market flips to the bull side, you're, you're quickly becoming and going into profit when you, when you look at your dollar cost average. So that's the best way to actually invest in my opinion, and you would actually be a lot of crypto hedge funds with that strategy. It's very simple. It just requires patience and timing, but you will beat 90% of the crypto hedge funds if you, if you DCA into assets. Yeah, absolutely. As long as you avoid shit coins, of course you yeah. can hit, yes, of course. hit big with shit coins momentarily, but it is super dangerous. Maybe buy Lotto is better than investing in shit coins. <laughs> I think as yeah, you can have, have, have it like a degen pot. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I put like a few, uh, a few amounts of money that I, okay, this is my DJ input. I will use this on anything that's wild. That yes, exactly. Yes. But everything else goes into yeah. assets that I choose to keep very long term. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is that every sort of crypto winter downturn, the big names, the top 10, the top 20, 30, don't go out of the 18,000 out there. Don't go down as much. As all the shit coins, you know, they, they go down virtually to zero, yeah. very close to zero, whereas the big names go down maybe 90%, which is still a lot, but you still retain something and, and you're not completely wiped out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the way to look at those utilized coins and when they go 90% is just, it's a massive discount, you know, it's, yes. it, it, that's, that's the way I personally look at it. When I see like the top 10, top 20 drop down 90%, I, I actually get quite excited. Yeah, so they have dropped about seven financial advice. Yeah, yeah, not exactly right. They have dropped about 70%, but they did drop about 90 last time. So it's like in 2018, I was there just like you. And 
Ethereum went down from 1400 highs to 80 to $84, something like that. So, <laughs> so, and same for Bitcoin, you know, went down from 20,000 plus to 3000 something. So, and, and we survived that, you know, most of them went down like that, the big ones and, and they came back up. So it's, yeah, as long as there is utility and it does seem like there is, people are using NFTs in extremely creative ways. Same for, you know, whether it's metaverse or gaming or whatever, it is the NFTs that is uh, giving people access to that metaverse land or that gaming asset that they would use in, in a game that, and we have had crazy, crazy number of transactions from in the first eight months of the, of the life of our company as well. It's like something like over $3 billion in transaction volume in the first eight months, because people play games and they interact so much that the transactions go. Whereas with art NFTs, people buy them and keep them. They don't interact or transact yeah. as much or engage as much as a, as a game would. So, so yeah, I think we, we're going to see lots of activity over time as people figure out, as you said, we are all experimenting. We are all trying things. Yeah, exactly. And I, I actually read a metric the other day that NFTs currently, the current market is the one form that is actually bringing in new money to the market. So the yes. traditional assets like ETH, Bitcoin, et cetera, are not actually bringing on new money. It's the NFTs right now that's bringing on new money to the web free economy, which shows that there is actual desire, even in a bear market like this, for NFTs and gaming items to even grow it further. And now we have big publishers like Activision and Ubisoft talking about NFTs, which should escalate it to that next level that we Do you know last week? Yeah, last week, Facebook and Reddit announced they're including NFTs or they are... Yeah, 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 yeah Reddit, very interesting. I mean... Huge platforms, huge number of users, even if they are just engaging in simply just like Twitter, like NFTs. So many people bought NFTs because Twitter was giving the hexagonal, you know, the yeah. profile image. So if Facebook and Reddit did those sort of things, so many more will buy because they want that, yeah. you know, sort of like social proof to, or, or like, it's like social capital that, you know, you own a, a board API club or right. punk or, or whatever your flavor of art is or, or your flavor of the, the virtual Gucci belt is. So yeah, yeah. I, I think it will be, it will be very, very interesting where, where it goes. I mean, people are not going to get it right the first time. A lot of companies are going to get it wrong, especially the established ones, just like Facebook got Libra wrong. I don't know if you even remember yeah. Libra from back in the days, their, their sort of experiment with the shit coin. <laughs> So, yeah, I think the US got worried a bit too much that Facebook will become its own state with its own financial model. So, yeah, I mean, again, that's an experiment that has essentially failed. So, yes. yeah, we'll see many more of these experiments. Some will succeed, some will exactly. uh, fail. But I think overall, Web3 is, is there to grow. It is still at its infancy. And we will see huge developments over the next five, six years. Yeah. Oh, 100%. What's your vision for Paribus in the next five years? Where would you like it to so, be? Or yeah. I would like Paribus to be operational and in full motion without us as the core team. So we always put the Paribus to become a decentralized organization. This is why we are preparing certain models to give the power back to the community. So I want Paribus to be the so de facto name and so go to place when you think of NFTs and borrow. So when you think of yeah. that, then Paribus should be the first thing that pops into your head, just like. For example, when you think about Bori lending, the first thing that pops into my head is happy on the EVF side. I want the same, same success story for Paribus and we are striving hard to build these features and build, build USPs that is going to stand itself on the market. So that's my vision. And once that happens and we are able to operate and generate fees for our token holders, 
then we want as the team the project team to actually phase up completely and disappear and hand over the entire control to DAO. Yes. So that's that's our overall vision. That's what we're working towards over the next three, four years. Things are going well at the moment, albeit the market is not that well. But I think overall we should be okay. Yeah, no, no, that sounds and in your view, of course, I know you don't control the markets, you don't have a crystal ball, but in your point of view, when do you see the market changing or turning? It's a bit tricky, you know, because of before the crypto markets were more like so micro, you know, they, they were yeah. very focused and concentrated. What happens in crypto? What's happening in crypto? But now it's more macro it's because it's it, because of how much it's grown and how many institutional investors are now involved. So macroeconomics actually affects crypto. So I would love to say it would end in the next six to 12 months, maybe mid-2023. But again, it depends on the whole macroeconomics and global situation as well. If interest rates keep going up, then I don't think we're going to see any relief in stocks, commodities, or cryptos anytime soon. If things escalate in terms of Ukraine, Russia, sanctions, and more sanctions in China, yeah, even towards Taiwan. If all that happens, there's going to be more commotion. So the market yeah. extension, the bear market will probably be normal. But once things settle down a bit, I and optimistically, I'm looking at the second half of 2023 for the true bull market yeah. to return, especially with Bitcoin halving now coming a bit more closer as well. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I personally don't expect anything till second half of 2023. It's just a good time for me to sort of DCA to my long-term holds. Yes. And that's what I'll be doing till the second half of 2023. Yeah. No, that sounds fantastic. And my last and final question for you is, do you have a ask? Are you looking for anything? Are you looking for investors, team, customers, anything else? Yeah. So of course, being a startup, we are lean as possible, as I mentioned earlier in this you know, discussion. We are looking to raise a little bit more additional funds just to give us that buffer in case the market turns even more sour. So we are looking for OTC deals at the moment. Mm -hmm. We're not doing equity deals just yet because we don't think we're in a state where we can yes. do equity deals. So yeah, OTC deals is what we're looking for if of interest. And that's, and then of course, the marketing outreach and networking, you know, any, any, any sort of help or assistance on that side will be of course much appreciated as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what you guys are on a very interesting journey would be very interesting to see how the NFT market matures, especially with all the things coming in with metaverse and gaming and all the bigger sort of larger firms exploring, whether it's brands like, you know, Colgate or Nike or anyone. Pretty much every single brand is looking at NFTs. Every yeah, exactly. single event organizer is looking at NFTs. Every single sports person is looking at NFTs. So there's just going to be an explosion in the next 24 months. I, that's how I see it. As, and it's yeah. going to bring in a lot more new people, as you say, that, you know, crypto is just going to be very small and this whole ecosystem could be much, much bigger. I know so many projects coming up where you can now get a stake in a new musician coming up or new sports person coming up. So to pay for their training, pay for their music instruments from, from future revenue by holding their NFT, and then you'll get a cut of their what yeah. deals and there stuff. So, so many interesting use cases. So many, so many interesting use cases, because you couldn't do that. And I mean, you could do fundraising and stuff, but then there wasn't that sort of a immediate sort of kickback and that people can then sell that NFT to someone else if they don't want to hold it anymore or they're no longer interested in that artist or sports person anymore. So it's completely changed the sort of dynamic. And yeah, so it'd be very interesting to see what sort of utility is born and what people really use it for. So yeah, I think future is bright for you guys. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Then so many people will hold NFTs and they 
and then if you if they need any time urgent money you can go to your local you know <laughs> gold dealer or pawn shop or whatever or get or go to your bank and say that hey instead of my house i want to uh, put this nft as uh, collateral, collateral yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um but yeah so they, there is a there will be a need for that sort of a thing and for some people after house a lot of people who have bought or who do own things like board ap yacht club or crypto punks or something it is their second most expensive asset in their portfolio yeah. because yeah, some of them true. never expected it you know that it will grow to this level so and and if they can use that capital then some might they might build startups they might do all sorts of things so yeah exactly you never know what you're on the next exactly uh, right down. so yeah i mean the feature the exciting as you said nfts are bringing in new people it's bringing in a new category as well i think digital art is becoming a real thing now so like yes. just like i don't know 18th century 17th century art is a huge market I think digital art in the near future is going to be a huge market. It's already quite large. Um, yeah. You have like random artists who are managing to sell their art pieces for half a million, a million dollars as an NFT. And I think that trend is going to continue as, as more artists see the lucrative side of this and the outreach that they can get. Why go pay a, a gallery 50% of your intake when you could create the NFT, put an open C, run a campaign, and you get 100% of your earnings. Yeah. So, with that thinking and with new use cases, I think NFT space is just literally getting started. So we have many more things to come. Oh, totally, man. Totally. Oh, that's, that is fantastic. Look, I wish you best of luck and we should catch up again in six months time to see how things are going. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hit me up with you time. Let's do another one. Yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching this or listening to this episode of the Web3 with Sam Samani podcast. You know the drill. Leave a comment. Please subscribe or share it with a friend. Now, if you are building something really interesting in this space, then reach out to me. My DMs are open. I'm at Sam Kamani on Twitter or on LinkedIn or on TikTok or on any platform. Just go and search for my name. Reach out to me. I would love to help you. I would love to have a conversation with you if time permits. So, Having said that, I want to wish you best of luck to whatever you are building. I know that about 35 to 40% of my listeners are founders themselves. So I want to say best of luck and go build that next innovation.